everyone. Welcome to another episode of our Footy Fantasy Pod. Uh, special edition. You know, it's always a special edition when you can find a fan from the Toon Army. <laughs> Damien Lade of Raji. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a while. Uh, spoken to you. It's good to be, have you on. Uh, we have Stephen coming back. Gunnar. Uh, Arteta Faithful. Thanks, thanks for coming back, Steve. <laughs> Thanks for having me again. See, I'll tell you, faithful. Yeah, you're not telling faithful. You're one of the, the the real ones, the stock, the stock by him when everybody was falling by the wayside. To <laughs> uh, so this episode, of course, since it's uh, it's always unique to have a uh, Newcastle person, we'll start with Raji. We'll talk about his thoughts about Steve Bruce, Newcastle's progress so far. Um, then we'll pop over to um, Steve, talk about Arsenal and Ateta. We chat a little bit about the FA Cup game from yesterday. I mean, we're not dealt too much. We had a match reaction from yesterday. You know, everybody, all the analysis is already out there. So we won't delve too much about that. Uh, give out our weekly awards. And I would, like I always like to ask everyone, your thoughts on who you think will finish top four and where do you think the season will end? Um, regarding relegation, which, which teams do you think are going to get relegated? So we'll start with it. Newcastle talk about Steve Bruce. Uh, so just let's just dive in. Share your thoughts, uh, Roger. Um, I, I generally think that Steve Bruce has uh, has had the has a, had a bad state of late in general. Yeah. Um, I think that there's an expectation by Newcastle fans that we should be doing better than where we are right now. Um, but reality is still reality. I think one of the problems Newcastle has had of late is a lack of strength in the midfield. Um, and if you watch how Steve Bruce generally plays, when Steve Bruce wants to play attacking, he plays a 4-4-2. Um, but when he's being defensive, he reverts to the 5-3-2. So if you look at Steve Bruce in general, his default position is to be defensive, which is an antithesis of everything he's done before. Steve Bruce from Wigan days has always been the attacker, but now that he's the Newcastle manager, he has always defaulted to being defensive. So what happens generally as the season progresses is you start him with him being in the offense, playing 4-4-2 and trying things out. But immediately we get into a bad run of form, he reverts to the 5-3-2 with two wing backs who go forward and three center backs. Um, but the problem then becomes, we don't have enough support going forward. The midfield is always the weak spot. Um, that has been Newcastle's problem all through the season. Um, and in reality, I don't know how we can solve that unless we bring in more box-to-box midfielders. So how has he done so far? I think it's a mixed bag. I think that Steve Bruce, if he, where to play more attacking could be in a better position than he is currently. But we saw the 5-1 dropping um, earlier this season when he tried to play more attacking. And we saw the 0-0 against Liverpool that happened last week. So which do you want? It's a very, very tricky situation because you have Newcastle players who are generally not as good as the competition, who play their socks off. Um, trying to hold off the opposition. And um, they lose sometimes and they win sometimes. Uh, we've not won the last seven, so hopefully we start to see some changes. 
but I don't think that we should be at the point where we fire student crews, which is also an unpopular position amongst new faculty guys. Um, so it's going to be an interesting season. That's what I'm going to say. But I think that we're going to scale through this uh, season. And if there's more investment coming in, Newcastle yeah. may see some um, investment in the midfield, especially this generation. So that's my thought on it, yeah. my overall thought. Because you guys right now, I'm looking at the table, Newcastle is eight points off, you know, off relegation, mm -hmm. which is pretty, pretty decent, I think, um, considering that the season we are in. Yes, and I know Burnley has a has a game hand on you guys, um, but typically, yeah, you guys are eight points of relegation. Um, the other thing I, I saw recently that was kind of interesting was about like your defenders. The fact that I saw that I think three or four of your defenders had their contract expiring within a year or two, and it's kind of a problem. I guess mm -hmm. that's I'm hearing that. So, um, what 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 what's interests me or surprises me the most about Newcastle is they, they tend to have this, you know, like how they can defend, you know, like how you guys Liverpool defend very well. They're very resolute at the back. They don't concede goals, pragmatic. And sometimes they do that for like 60, 70 minutes. And if, within a five, 10 minute spell, they just capitulate and just like letting like weird goals over. Like I, I saw that when you played, when you guys played, you know, Manchester United played us, I saw that where you guys defended really well and like for like 10 minutes just fell apart. Yeah. Or it would be the next game, I think it was against Chelsea, where you guys just like didn't put in a fight and just fell apart like that again against City. But then you play Liverpool and just like, is this the same team? Like last the tackles, blocks, everything. I'm just like, it, it feels like the team just fluctuates from like, oh, this is a very good compact defensive team. If they can hit teams on the break, they can maintain the strategy, you know, deep low block against better teams, yeah. hitting on the break. But then I see them next time again, it just switches. I'm like, wait, what? Is that the same thing I just watched? So I think it generally is dependent on, from what I, I'm not an expert, I'm just a fan. But yeah. if you look at it, it usually is, we don't do very well against teams that have strong midfields. Like um, Liverpool's strength is in the attack. Um, Manchester United's strength is in the midfield because they have Bruno Fernandes and players who can cause a lot of damage in there. Manchester City strength is in the midfield. Um, and all those teams that have strengths in the midfield, they dominate the midfield and force Newcastle's midfielders back. Mm. Um, and we are defending for a long time. And at some point, things will fall. If you look at the Newcastle versus Leicester game, Leicester's midfield is much better than ours. But we held that game for a long time. And then within a block of 10 minutes, they had two goals against us because they just took out the defense by just passing the ball laterally and allowing their midfielders to score. The goals were scored by Madison and Yuri Tillemont. So the problem has been Newcastle can soak in pressure, but Newcastle doesn't have enough strong, midfield, enough strong midfielders to prevent the pressure from coming in. So if they had a you know a midfielder that can stop the pressure from going to the defense or who can relieve the pressure uh, once in a while, you could have a situation where um, the defense doesn't have to work for so long, have to concentrate for so long during the game, um, and one mistake could cause a goal. But you've got to give the goalkeepers at Newcastle their props because 
they've been excellent this season. Um, Caldalo, I have no idea why he's not being looked at for the English um, goalkeeper role, um, but he's he's definitely been the man of the match. He's several. definitely better than um, the guy at Everton. Yeah. Um, he's more composed. Yeah. I think that his, his weak spot is when you have um, a lot of players in the box. He doesn't get rid of the ball. He doesn't punch the ball out, um, you know, as decisively as he needs to do. But I think all, overall, the Newcastle's strength is the defense and the attack. But we don't have a midfield that can compensate, that can relieve the pressure in the back and connect to the attack. So when we play against teams that have strong midfield, we always get overrun and the team has to defend consistently. It's the same thing that happened against Leeds. You know, um, we started up well, but as the game wore on, you saw that our midfield uh, issues were laid bare and Leeds could just start passing the ball through the midfield and scoring from the midfield. So, you know, that's the Newcastle problem right now. Okay. Okay. Uh, Steve, any thoughts? Uh, Newcastle, Steve Bruce? Yeah, yeah, no, a few. Mike Ashley. <laughs> no, no, no. I won't go into Mike Ashley because I think that's that bridge has well and truly been crossed many times. <laughs> um, but I think the biggest thing with Steve Bruce is more, as someone that's from the area, he should understand that club and the culture around that club of how Newcastle plays. That's good, I forget about that. He's from and there. the importance of a forward or a center forward or a talisman in that team. And I just don't think he's, he's, he's fulfilling that vision of what the team should be, right? So yeah, you can be defensive, but then you've got two big target men, like develop a team that's going to put crosses into the box. And if Joel Linton and Carroll are going to miss them, they miss them, right? Because they're just not good enough. But at the same time, when I see Andy Carroll on the pitch as, a, as an Arsenal fan, I sweat, not because he's great, but because I know that the crosses are coming in and he's going to win 50, 60% of anything that's in the air. And they just don't play to that strength. And I think that's the thing that's, yeah, you don't have the quality, and it's obvious you don't have the quality, but to say that the style of play, even with Newcastle being in transition, is acceptable, I think that's where a lot of Newcastle fans are struggling with it. And, and again, I used to spend a lot of time, I got to Newcastle a lot when I was younger and living in the UK. Yeah. That oh, fan base, they don't, yeah, they don't care necessarily about, they don't win. It's not, not about the winning, they want to enjoy the football. And if you're not enjoying the football, you're going to get under pressure. And that's kind of why Steve Bruce is getting the abuse that he's getting. Um, because he's from the area. He should understand the community and the culture of the club. And there's going to be games where you have to park, park the bus, but play a certain way when you're not having to park the bus. And I think that's why he's getting the abuse he's getting. Um, but I think that Steve Bruce started from a negative well from the get-go. Um, the Newcastle fans had Rafa Benitez as the manager. And going from Rafa Benitez to Steve Bruce is a steep decline, whether you like it or not. Well, let me ask a question on that one. Yeah, so you went from Rafa Benitez to Steve Bruce, but Rafa wasn't playing great football either. Like Rafa was picking and choosing the games. And in the majority of the games, he was pretty defensive also until yeah. he was kind of adding like players and quality. The thing that Rafa was looking for was obviously the owner to invest 
at a point because he saw that, okay, I, can, I can't keep just parking the bus every week and getting results that way. And Rafa, as a manager, and Rafa coming into that job, Rafa Benitez, Newcastle is a huge club. Mm-hmm. Right? If you can get Newcastle going upward, Newcastle is a huge club. Fan base. So I think Rafa Benitez, when he first took the job, he was like, okay, if I can keep this team in the division, if I can get things moving in the right direction, I get a little bit of investment. I've got a team that should be top eight, top yeah. 10. And that wasn't coming. That's why the fallout with Rafa happened. And obviously the fan base, fan base reacted to that. But Rafa, my Rafa made a decision. Rafa's over in China right now. It's not like he left for a bigger job or a better job or anything. He just wasn't happy. He, he wasn't happy with the vision of the club. But the thing about it is, the owner dictates the vision, unfortunately. Yeah, and but we, we're trying to sell. Huh? But we know the owner is trying to sell. It's, everybody knows the owner is trying to sell. So what I would say now is, if he was to sell this club, and a new owner with a ton of money was to walk in, would they want Steve Bruce as the manager? No. No, it depends on who the owner is. I don't even think it matters. I think if they come through the door and Steve Bruce is the manager, they fire him because of the, the style of football and the culture of that team. They're going to want to bring someone in that's going to make them more, not immediately progressive, but over time. Because again, Steve, they, they paid 40 million for Joe Linton. Yeah. But like, you have to understand that the owner is not trying to sell. He's trying to sell for his profit. That's what the owner is trying to do. So if it was a situation where the owner was trying to do it for the best of the club, then you he would have sold the club a while back. Oh, but, but, he, yeah, but, he, but he's gonna do that for himself. Like what, yeah. what businessman you know buys something with the intent of making a profit and then sells it just for out of the goodness of his heart to kind of like, avoid some stress. Like he's not gonna do that. Like he's invested a decent amount of his money into that club. So he's just like okay someone comes along and makes me an offer and also recognizing that this is Newcastle United. Like when that team is playing well, 40, 50,000 people show up to watch it every week. It's a huge club, merchandise, brand, everything. So I don't blame him for that. I think he's doing what he needs to do as an owner, but we know he's not invested in the long-term future of the club. But at the same time, as a fan, knowing what I know about the owner, yeah, I'm expecting Steve Bruce to at least give me a little bit of entertainment every now and again, at least find and figure out the scouting system and the culture of the team a little bit, because I just, I don't understand what Newcastle is anymore. Like, um, you get. I think that we're, we're also putting the blame on Steve Bruce when we should be putting the blame on management. I don't know what Steve Bruce can do if they don't give him the money, like, to do anything. Um, so, Newcastle has been invested in enough done enough investment at all in buying good players of late and he has to wheel and deal this whole summer season he had to wheel and deal uh for callum wilson for um hendrick um this player that he got to solidify the team but um, wilson was a good signing hmm? wilson was a good signing it was, was a great signing fraser was a good signing was, like what was. i'm saying is that those players were for me good signing and should have seen Newcastle, okay, we can play a little bit better now because we have those guys with the likes of a Shelby or the youngsters coming through that we could use. But the style hasn't changed. And those guys, the in and out, again, depending injuries, whatever, but the in and out of the team. So it, it, the culture of the team hasn't changed. That's why it's negative. But what I think my that- man, um, what's his name? 
said Maxim, the man with yeah. the Gucci, Gucci bandana. I always, I watch him because of the Gucci bandana. The guy is hilarious. He's a, he's, a, he's a talent, but he's he's been suffering from COVID. Oh, okay. That's why he's been out. Okay. Yeah, he's out, and he's been having the after effects um, because of the COVID outbreak. Um, and even yesterday, LaSalle had to be taken off and yep. half because he was suffering from the after effects of COVID. I mean, COVID hit the club real bad. Yeah. For a while, though. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, I think it's uh, enough uh, Newcastle chat. Now oh. we will jump into like Arsenal. Before we jump into Arsenal chat, I forgot to do admin. If you're watching this, uh, like, share, turn on your notifications, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Um, this board will be on YouTube, Footy Fantasy. We have a podcast version on anywhere you find your podcast: iTunes, uh, Apple Podcast, Spotify. A cast you can find us. It's called the Footy Fantasy F W O T I E podcast. All of our addresses will be at the end of the pod. Uh, let's dive into Arsenal. Steve, tell us why um, you guys are going to win all the domestic trophies and going <laughs> for top four. <laughs> Arsenal is back. No, the domestic trophy thing is like as bad as Arsenal have been. What they won the FA Cup was now five years, six yeah, years. Yeah, it's your cup now. It's literally your cup now. I kind of. Um, so, so I again, as a fan, I want us to kind of be competitive as possible in that and just take it round by round. And again, once you get to the latter stages, you kind of see, because people just try and get to the latter stages. And then once you get there, it's like one-off games against good teams. That's that's kind of how it works. Yeah. So I kind of want us to be as competitive as we can in that. But the priority is still to get up the league. Um, I think that's what we kind of, same kind of situation as last season where we were struggling, we got, we used the Cups, we got to a decent phase or stage in the Cups. Um, but remember, we lost pretty early in the Europa League. Um, FA Cup was kind of the saving grace of the season. Um, so this year, where we are, I want us to kind of be as progressive as we can in the league and just go as far as we can in the two Cups. Yes, because that's kind of progress with the players that we have and the more games that we have, especially with the young players that the team is being built around. Yep. the better. So, yeah, I think Arteta's doing that. I think that we, we spoke about, he needed uh, the results. Um, because again, you, we joked about me being an Arteta fan. The results ultimately are going to dictate whether he keeps his job or not. Yeah. Right? I have two questions. I have one question. One is to you, one would be to, to you know, Raji to say his thoughts, what he thinks about Arteta. My first question is, there's a school of thought that did we, and when I say we, I'm throwing myself in there too, because I... I still think he's a good coach, but I don't. Maybe I overrated his coaching a little bit. I say this because when you judge Ateta across all the league results from when he started December twenty nineteen, late yeah. December till now, right? All the league when you look at the in comparison to like that FA Cup win, did we overrate? Because that those league performance have been inconsistent. Not be good enough if you want to be if you want to be very honest. If you based on the resources he has, not saying challenging, not saying top four, but at least Arsenal should be fifth, six, seven around those positions. When you judge those games, like how many games? They're probably like it's been like almost 40, 40 games, right? If you yeah, well, maybe not that many, but at least it's it's a it's a good amount. It's enough to actually judge. Um, so if you judge him based on that versus. Like you said, those one-off games against big teams where he came up with tactical plans that worked, you know, and he knocked out, you know, two very, and they were very good wins. I'm not taking that away from him. And maybe one or two wins in the league. Has those 
results in the FA Cup clouded people's judgment on Ateta's? I don't, I don't think it clouded judgment. I think it gave people a false um, expectation okay. of what he was going to be able to do with the club. Okay. And the club has a lot of issues off the field and on the field. Like the playing right. school, we have a lot of players on terrible contracts and right. with baggage of attitude and performance that need to change. So it's, that would have been a job for a very experienced manager. And he's a rookie, he's a novice. Yeah, that's and true. Not just him, that's a novice. Behind the scenes, you've got Edu, who's never had the position that he's had before at a club the size of Arsenal. You've got Vinay, who's not really a football CEO or chief executive or any of those positions. He's just been promoted. So we've got novices in a lot of big positions at a club that needed guidance and a serious level of direction change. And they, they made some bad decisions. Like the Ozo decision, I don't disagree with what they did, but to not register that guy knowing full well that if results don't come, everybody's going to turn around and go, oh, Ozil should be playing. Regardless of what he was doing before, that was a big effect, right? I think we talked yeah. about the walkout effect, and I'm saying walkout effect, like when a player is, an injured player is always more valuable when a team is not going well. Oh, if walkout is here, you know, they, that's what and they got. Those are situations that they created, right? Yeah. So again, if you're not going to register Ozil, that's going to become a problem. If you're going to make the decision to sell Martinez, for 20 mil and you're going to keep Leno, that's going to be a decision, right? So they made a lot of big decisions in the summer that a young manager had to deal with and then the results weren't great and that pressure just builds on top of it. I think he's been fortunate that the Christmas period, those three wins in a row, bought him a little bit of time and now he has to maintain that momentum. He's going to lose another game here or there there's going to be another bad result here or there, but as long as the progress is visible from this point in, and like I said, off the pitch, he needs the backing and the support, and he's getting it. So right now, 1st of January, Kolasinac is gone. <laughs> that's a 100000 a week contract for someone that's not going to play, gone. Ozil, all the noise about his playing, not playing, move him. I don't care whether we're paying him still. I don't care if he goes for free for six months. Is it not done? I'm no, hearing rumors is good for the Apparently, no, because apparently he's asked, he still wants his money. <laughs> Ozo's not leaving for free. I don't blame him either. Like, you, I, you don't, I, actually, I don't, I don't, to be honest. I think you football clubs get rewarded, in my opinion. No, the, ball, the, the team, they owe him his money. So if they want him to go, okay, you want him to go, you owe him 350000 a week for the next six months. So yes. you have to come to a, an agreement with him where you're paying him off. And I think what Ozo is actually saying is he wants his money. He's willing to take it over three years, over um, down payments or whatever. That's what they have to do. They have to figure out that contract with him and let him go. Because that would be another noise in the club that would stop. So, so I think those are the decisions that Arteta's not in control of. It's the club, it's the board, and then they have to back him. Like, we need a, min a midfielder. I was going that, to say that. <laughs> like, play with Partey. We need it. Well, again, because Party's going to come back and he's going to yeah. improve the team, mentally, especially with the runners we have now up front. But we still need someone that can play next to him because, like I said to you when I came on the last time, you take Xhaka, Ceballos and Elneny and you combine the three of them, you probably have the player that we need to play next to Party. But individually, 
you're picking and choosing. You want to sit, you play on Nenny. You want to be a bit more progressive, you play Ceballos. You want someone that can just pass, you play Xhaka. That's not okay. Yeah, I agree. So, so I think that's what he needs. So what do you think is Arsenal's weak spot right now? Is it the midfield? Midfield, 100%. Centre midfield is our problem. I think we got decent enough. We don't have great defenders, but we got decent enough defenders and, and um, they're young enough that you can kind of develop them. Yeah. I think the midfield is the problem. Like we don't have runners with the ball and we don't have people that are creative enough, specifically in that central position from deep, to get the ball to our players early enough. Like everybody says Pepe is a flop. Mm. Pepe is a guy that wants to run with the ball and you need to get him the ball in space. Like if he keeps receiving the ball with back to goal, mm -hmm. Pepe is useless. Right, like he needs to be running with the ball at people, and to yeah. you have to be able to find him in pockets. Um, that's what makes Saka Smithrow useful in this team because technically those guys are good enough that they'll pick the ball up and they can play. They can pass one two. They can. They're intelligent footballers. Um, I think when I was on it the last time, I actually said to you I, I wanted him Saka to play from the right, and now he's playing from the right, and you don't know whether he's left footed or right footed. Yeah. That is the difference. That's separated the threat. That's true. So, um, what are your thoughts, uh, quickly, uh, Raji, about Arteta, just from the outside looking in? Um, I, I definitely think that, you know, if we can sort out the midfield inconsistency at every game, um, you could have a good team because right now you guys have a strong attacking force and you guys have a good enough defense and defenders like Gabriel who can create chances in the box um, on the opposing side. But um, I, it comes back to the discussion I was talking about earlier about if you wanted to beat Newcastle, you have to just come with a good midfield. And you could tell that Arsenal struggled against Newcastle because Newcastle predict what the midfielders could do. That's a good and point. And they were able to stop a lot of the shots. That. That's a good point about the midfield thing. And when I'm thinking about it, that's true. When I look at all the games you struggle, it's yeah. been midfields that have creative players. That's a good point. So if you can get a creative midfielder, you can beat Newcastle. Um, if you look at the way Aston Villa played against us last season, um, immediately they got um, uh, their, their midfielder in, I forgot his name, Grealish. Um, he caused havoc in the defense. Um, and when I was watching the, new, the Arsenal game, I think that you guys beat us yesterday because you have better attackers than Newcastle. When you had the chances, you took it. Um, but if your midfielders were stronger, you could have had those better chances. If the ball had gone to the striker faster and or if it had gone to space faster, you could have beaten the Newcastle defense much earlier. And that's what happened in the end, right? So when you made yeah. the changes, he brought on Saka, he brought on Lacazette, he brought on Jaka, and all of those players, Smith-Rowe, and all of those players impacted the game. That's what I'm saying. Like, Smith-Rowe running from midfield onto a ball from the forward, <laughs> and he scores. Yeah. P&E, that cross came from a pass from deep, which was a really good pass from Xhaka, right? Through the lines, and he crosses, and then Aubameyang scores. That's your playoff season, in my opinion. To yeah. Kenny? Yeah, 100%. that's your playoff. He should be captain. He should so, be captain. I, I, I do think that... There's a lot of, and I think this affects Newcastle and Arsenal, um, Newcastle and Arsenal in a way, because you have a situation where if they can solve the inconsistencies in the midfield, Shelby is inconsistent and he's strong for some games and not strong for others. 
um, you know, all our midfielders, um, Hendricks, um, Almiron, who's very fast, but not very strong. So we have weak spots in the, in the midfield specifically that if you can create some consistency in there, give this player some backing that, okay, I can be creative now. Because what happens right now is they try to make Shelby a box-to-box midfielder. He's not good defensively as he's good going forward. Shelby can, can throw a pass. Uh, he can create a ball, but it, he's not very mobile. So against the Leicester, for example, his mistake cost us the game because it led to the first, the second goal that they scored against us. Um, so things like that. I think that if Newcastle can solve the midfield problem, and I think if Arsenal can solve the midfield problem, and which they've had for a long time, I don't know why they haven't solved it. I'm guessing- no, I, think, I think they're part of the way there, right? So yeah. um, party is a big piece or a part of that. I think they have to make a, have a conversation for the future because they have a player who I believe could develop into a really good supporting player in Gwendouzi, who's on loan and for all intents and purposes doing really well in Germany right now. Yeah. So you bring Gwendouzi in, you have party. We've got a ton of young box-to-box midfielders that they, they probably don't want to block the progress of because mm. you'll hear them talk about Aziz, you'll hear them talk about Patino, you'll hear them, they've got some really good young players there. Okay. So they need someone 25, 26 that can play next to party, make Xhaka more of a squad player. Um, and then you can see something. But And it's pieces. I don't think Arsenal need to rush and go out and sign. They don't need to do a United and go and sign 16 players and spend half a billion. And, what? And don't, come for, don't come for United. Look at this guy. I get your point. I get Arsenal you. can't do that. So I think, yeah, they've, got, they've found some players... They're consistently finding players in their academy. And regardless of if they make it or not, that's how Arsenal's going to dig themselves out of the mess that they're in because those players are going to cut. Like when I heard Enketiah being linked to 15, 20 million pound moves this week, that's a prime example of what I'm talking about. Like that's okay, that's free money for us, right? You sell Enketiah 15, 20 million, you sell Willock 15, 20 million, you sell Reese Nelson another 15, 20 million, Martinez was 20 million for a player that wasn't playing for us for 10 years. So the academy is doing what it needs to do. It's just one or two players every time um, and just be really deliberate with the recruitment. Like right now, you need a number eight to play with Partey. Like I keep hearing about Buendia. I don't want him. Not because he's a bad player. Not because he's a bad player. We have eight minutes left. So let's do a good segue to say, I was going to ask you final question on Arsenal. Who do you think you need to get? We had this guy this January. Steve. We need a, a number eight. Like, I don't, like... Oh, really? Okay. Not a ten. I want an eight. Not a, not a ten. We need an eight. Because you can use Saka, Smithrow, uh, for all the hate that he gets, William. You can use those players behind the striker okay. for the rest of this season. But for January, the position where we're kind of struggling is it now number eight. Is Gwendouzi coming back? Yes or no, because then in the future you can say, okay, Gwendouzi plus another person. Yep. But you've got too many questions in that center midfield. Like Ramsey going and not being replaced. Like you put Ramsey in this team right now with Partey, this team's in the top six. <laughs> like, so you made that decision to let Ramsey go and I bring agree. in Willie and do all of these different things. I agree. You can That's just pay the Right? So that's what they need. They need a number eight. 
In your head, if you had to choose, if you had to pick someone right now. Um, the guy I really wanted was Sabozalai, but he's gone. Yeah, he's gone. Right? So that, that deal was done. But again, that is the position they need to solve is a, a more of a, um, uh, a Metzela or a, like a number eight type player that can play next to Partey with the That's mobility scary. that Xhaka doesn't have. So top so four. Give me your top four. Uh, your top four and where do you think Arsenal will end up this season? I think Arsenal will just miss out because I think there's too much competition and too much. There's six points back right now, so it's not like it's a mile off. Yeah. But I think Liverpool are going to stay in. I think um, uh, United, just because of the run and the, the, the quality and the depth that they have, they'll pick right. up enough results. Yeah. Um, I think Man City is going to come back. They've got two games in hand. They'll be in the top four really soon. And then I think there's like four or five teams that are fighting for that fourth spot. I think Leicester will stick around. I think Tottenham will stick around. I think you Arsenal. Will... If you had to pick one, who do you think will get in? If I had to pick one, I'd probably That's say... If I had to pick one out of those teams, I'd probably say Spurs, just because Mourinho is going to do enough and they've got so much fight. They've got enough firepower okay. to stay up there. But I think if I had to pick one based on where it is right now, I'd say Spurs. Who wins um, it? Who wins the league? Liverpool wins the league. Okay. Fair. I think if Liverpool, if Liverpool, if you were going to stop Liverpool from winning the league, you had to, they shouldn't be top right now with all the injuries they have. Okay. Like, you, they, I think mean, Liverpool wins the league. Roger. Top four, who wins the league, in your opinion? Uh, top four, I probably will go with Liverpool, Manchester United, Tottenham Hotspurs, and probably Leicester. You don't think Man City makes top four? I don't think Man City makes top four. Interesting. That's a big shout. Okay. Um, who, who gets relegated? Who gets relegated? I think... The three, the bottom three right now will probably be the bottom three that get you. At the end. Um, Fulham has a shout, um, but I don't think that they can make up for their defensive issues. Um, and their striking force is not strong enough. Um, West Brom is definitely going to get relegated. Sheffield United, what used to be their strength uh, two seasons ago, has now become their weakness. Um, you needed to be consistently defending and scoring enough goals to win a game. Right now, they're not defending as well and they're not scoring as many goals. So what used to be like the reason why they made it into the top 10 is now a problem. And I, I think they're in Europe too, so that doesn't matter. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, do you, do, um, before I leave you, I'm going to Steve, do you have a kudos, quick kudos for the week or Donkey for the week. Uh, for me, I probably would go with the young player um, Tierney. I've never really seen him play. Uh, I don't generally watch Arsenal, to be fair. But watching him play um, this weekend was quite impressive to see how he was able to go through all the defenders and still get a very effective shot. In. Either person I would probably think of is Yuri Tillerman from Leicester and Madison. I I I was quite impressed with midfielders this season. Um, especially the youngsters who are doing quite well. Okay. Donkey of the week, if you have anyone? I don't know. Um, Van de Beek, still not played that much. If I did say the last game, well, it's fine, it's fine. I, I will choose who you, who you pick. Steven, Donkey of the week, kudos for the week. And who, who gets ready to get it? Donkey of the week, the FA, for the Aston Villa-Liverpool 
situation because I just feel that was so Agreed. unfair that the way that they dealt with it. And then I'll give Aston Villa credit. So I'll say Aston Villa hero, but more because if that was a bigger club, I think they would have been complaining to the high heaven still um, about having to play that game with kids. I.e. Man City. <laughs> yeah, I think Aston Villa, yeah. <laughs> I think Aston Villa took, took, takes a lot of credit because, they, okay, it's the FA Cup. We were going to probably play some of these kids anyway on the bench. We'll, we'll just roll with it. Um, and I think they did. They did. They acquitted themselves well, and they learned probably a bit more about the young players that they have. So I think FA for sure would be the donkey because again, they could have dealt with that better. Okay. Um, in terms of who gets relegated, I thought Sheffield United were going to go down. I said it at the start they're, of the season. They're done already. Um, and I think Fulham, and then the last team. I think West Brom. I just don't think they're going to be good enough, regardless of what Sam Allardyce done. So I think West Brom, Sheffield United, and Fulham go. Yeah. Uh, so I rattled through, we have to lose, let me rattle through my, I think you're right, those three, I'm, I'm sticking with your prediction for relegation. Donkey of the week, uh, <clears throat> mine goes to Leeds. I praise them a lot, I praise Bielsa a lot, for sure, 100%, I always do. Because I don't I don't understand that idea, like, oh, a team needs to adapt, this is what brought them up, this is what makes them, this is the reason why he's maximizing resources based on his style of play. So I praise him, but for this one, he gets Donkey of the week. You can't lose to Leeds two team. Come on, Crowley, really? That I saw that result. I was like, wait, what? League two? And like, regardless of if he rotates, you cannot lose to a League two team. 3 0. I can hear like a 2 1 close game. So yeah, he gets Donkey of the Week for sure for that. He gets my Donkey of the Week just for balance. Uh, and in the reverse, I think Crawley should get it. You know, they beat Leeds, a Premiership team. And it's not like a middling, they, a Premiership team that is comfortable 10th, 11th, and they beat them 3 0. So I think they should get. The kudos of the week for me. That's interesting. I, I, I would never, I don't know if the cup games are, they're always going to get unexpected results. In yeah, I agree. I agree. I did always, they always be unexpected results. I just feel like you cannot lose 3 0. To Leeds are the perfect team to play in a cup because they're going to allow you to make the game chaotic. That's and true. you're playing against those lower league teams and they're going to score from corners and set pieces. And what the hell is called? I, I looked at Le- it. Leeds are the perfect team to play in that scenario. Correct. Yeah. And it was kind of good, you know. Yeah. But yeah. So I think we'll wrap up here. Wrap this in a minute. Thank you guys for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. It was uh, really nice talking to you guys. Uh, if you like our content, like I say, all our addresses will be at the end of the pod. Uh, thanks. <laughs>